Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russell again, your host, with my dear friend, Frank Friedman. Man, how are things going, my friend? We have turned a corner in the deep south, John. We're actually in the 80s, and you can go outside, and it's pleasant. Wow. So I guess you're going outside, and you're feeling like you're wrapped in a cool, wet sponge instead of a hot, wet sponge, huh? (laughs) Yeah, the humidity is always there. (laughs) Always there. Maybe we could write that in a verse, you know, that humidity will never leave you or forsake you. Unless you come to Arizona. Well, Frank, as you know, within the past several months, we've been discussing our favorite topic of suffering. We've talked about Jesus and Paul and Peter and Joseph and Mary. And last time, we finally got to Job. And as we begin today by looking through the first part of chapter one, I want to start out with two observations. The first is one you made last time about how Job was very likely the first book written. And that Mm. it was interesting that as the first book written, its theme is suffering. Did Mm. I recall that right? You did. We did mention that. Most scholars are in agreement that Job is the first book. This is really interesting. It's almost as if God gives us a preface to the rest of the Bible, a sort of explanation. You know, you're going to be living in a world that you weren't designed for. And then beginning in Genesis, he explains how that happened. And then, of course, the rest of the Bible begins to focus on redemption and restoration and how God is going to work to bring back his creation to himself and back to life and wholeness. But in the interim, Job stands as the book of, how shall we say, uh, brace yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up, my friend. It's interesting. You mentioned that it's the first book. It's almost like as God opens up his communication with his people, the first thing he had is suffering that jumped in my mind to Luke 4, the passage where he comes back from the temptation. And he comes into the synagogue in his hometown, and basically he opens up the scroll, reads from Isaiah 61, and basically gives his job description. And he says, I'm come to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to sit at liberty those who are oppressed. So it's almost like the first theme out of Father's mouth in his word is suffering, And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth as Messiah is, I'm here to relieve you of your suffering. Mm. I think that's really cool. You know, God begins with Mm -hmm. suffering in his word. And the first focus of the Messiah is, I'm here because the world is full of brokenhearted people. Wow. Mm. Yeah, John, you know, we actually, uh, as you know, shameless plug, we put that in our book, Finding God in the Gray, from our Resolute Hope 
that when Jesus announced his ministry, we've talked about this many times, we look at what scripture says, as you pointed out today, and it's powerful and wonderful. But sometimes we need to focus on what it doesn't say to magnify what he did say. And nowhere in announcing his ministry did he say, I'm come to die for your sins. I've come to bring you to heaven. I've come to establish my kingdom, which all of those things are true. But I think it's huge, as you pointed out, the first thing out of his mouth is, hey, I'm here for hurting people. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be available to you and bring you through what it is you're suffering. And maybe this is the way we should put it as we start today. Suffering's real. And we've got to stop trying to avoid the issue in the body of Christ. It's real. It's there. But the key is because of Jesus, it's not the end of our story. And it wasn't the end of Job's story either, as we uh -huh. find out. Now, there's another observation that jumped out at me as I was beginning to, to prepare for this time. Of course, in this book, most people are familiar with it. We're going to do a deep dive into the suffering of a single man named Job. And as we talk through some of these passages, we're going to hear a lot of pleading and arguing, complaining from Job directed toward God. And the first thing that struck me was that this is reasonable, Frank. We all cry out when we suffer because pain and suffering are absolutely consuming. And when mm -hmm. there's no place to turn, we turn to God for relief. And when things don't work out as we want them to do, of course, we just you know wonder what's happening, why, and we get angry. But mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting that in the anger and fresh frustration and suffering of Job, God steps into that and responds with the longest speech of his anywhere in scripture. It's almost like you see the most you can see of God when you're up to your eyeballs in suffering. Uh, am I catching that right? That just sort of jumped out at me today. Oh, I think that's wonderful, John. And it's interesting, but in that longest discourse, he doesn't even address the suffering. He doesn't answer Job's question. No, he doesn't. That huge discourse is describing and defining to Job how God is and how small Job is in comparison. And it's almost like he's saying, Job, I'm so big, you have to trust me. And Buddy, you're so small, you've got to not trust yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and Job did learn that, but I tell you, it took 40-some chapters before, oh, yeah. before he does. You know, I suspect, Frank, he will learn it quicker than I did. Yeah, you know, as interesting as I was listening to you, John, I'm, I'm doing a little work into this issue of suffering. I'm going to write a blog in a short time on it, and I was going after the word why. Why is probably the most asked question that comes from the lips of humanity. And in the Bible, I found out that it occurs 282 times, which means the question why is being asked every four chapters. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it makes sense because a lot of things in this world we just do not understand. Uh, all right, my friend, great thoughts. Let's dive in. Job 1 
And uh, for those who are listening, we are not going to go through the entire book verse by verse. We're just going to jump here and there. But I want to begin in Job 1, because many times in the body of Christ, when people suffer, they tend to ask, as Frank just said, why me? What did I do to deserve this? And so I want to look at Job's character and see what he did to deserve this. So verse one says this, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man, get this, Frank, was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And Ezekiel 14, God describes him as a righteous man. And so when you begin to ask the question, why do people suffer? You quickly see that very often it's for no Mm. reason. Nothing they did. There's no revenge of God, God's part, no punishment. There's no payback. These aren't harsh consequences. Sometimes father just does what he does because he's got a purpose. And it's not because of anything that we did or didn't do. You've done a lot of counseling, my friend. How often have you seen that? Or at least begin with people asking, why did this happen to me? Oh, absolutely, John. We know what scripture says. We know that every one of us is a sinner. We were born that way in Adam. And we all know that sin has consequences. I mean, we've got scripture all over the place. I mean, the wages of sin is death. That's talking about present tense life. It's it's not an historical statement, you know, that the wages of the sin of the past. No, today, choices have consequences. You reap what you sow. And the first thing that happens when life in a fallen world invades and things that were going well all of a sudden aren't, the first question we all want to ask is, why? What did I do? In our own lives, John, this isn't just counselees. You know, when our fourth child was born with a rare disease, the first thing Janet and I said was, what did we do? And it's crazy, but we knew better (laughs) than to ask that question. Uh, You know, you just said from the book of Job, there, there was nothing consequential there. There was no discipline, no punishment, nothing like that. And we knew that, but still we asked the question. And it's sad, John, but, you know, Job's friends, we're, we're going to see, I trust, we, like you said, we're not doing the whole book, but they showed up very well in the beginning, wrapped their arms around him, loved on him. But in a little while, they were friends that were not friends because he never admitted he did anything wrong. And so therefore they started to chastise him and you know, even the body of Christ, I had people calling me saying, hey, have you considered sin? You know, surely this child is born this way because of you. And we even have a biblical passage, John, I don't want to hog all this, I'll throw it back at you. But you know, in John 9, they came across the little guy born blind. And yes. what was their question? Who did this? The parents yeah, or this? the child? Yeah, well, you know, who sinned? The parents or the, you yeah. know, how on earth can the child sin in the womb? crazy stuff. But you know, when we're desperate for answers, Frank, Mm -hmm. we will grasp at anything. We'll ask anything. We'll grab at any straw because we feel like we're absolutely floundering. And I don't want to pass over this issue in Job's life 
without reminding our listeners that, yes, there are times when we make dumb choices. We choose to sin or we choose to walk not in faith. We walk after the flesh. And there are consequences from that. But not every time something happens are we responsible for it. We could live totally upright and righteous lives and still Father can choose, as we'll see with Job next time, to part the hedge and allow suffering in metered suffering, suffering that fits his purposes, but he parts the hedge to allow it in for his purposes, for his reason. So we don't have to understand everything that happens to us. There's a Twyla Paris song. She's one of my favorite artists. And she says a line in one of her songs, it might be for my sake, just to help me grow, or maybe for your kingdom, Lord, I don't need to know. And I guess that's kind of where I look at this. Sometimes we just don't know why things are happening to us. And so when I think of my own life and I look over some of the things that I happened that I wish had not happened, when you ask the Holy Spirit, what did I do wrong? And you get the answer, you did nothing wrong. Uh, you have no choice but to uh, to walk the path of Job and just trust your father that he's got this, he'll accomplish his purposes, and that because he part of the hedge, he's going to stand right behind you and prop you up so that you stand in the midst of what he allows into your life. So please, listeners, be encouraged if you're struggling if you're suffering, if you've got consequences or issues in your life you'd rather not have, they might not be your fault at all. They mm -hmm. might just be because your father has decided it's time. It's time to do this. And he's got his purpose. Yeah, I look back at your daughter's birth. Mm -hmm. And I remember you asking the questions. What did we do wrong? Maybe because we lived in this one place. We lived in Cancer Alley, you know, trying to find any explanation. But sometimes, my friend, as you know, there is none. I think most times it's not our fault. <laughs> we are living in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, things just go awry. Here's the key. And, and this is something I stole from a friend of mine named Ross Gilbert, very dear man up in Canada. I believe you know Ross. Yes. But we were discussing pain and suffering one day, and he blurted this out, and he said, if there is no purpose in our pain, then God is not good. And boy, John, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I've been reflecting on that for years God may not be the cause of the pain, and even the individual may not be the cause of the pain, but because he is God, he is going to bring good out of it. And the ultimate end of when we face the question of why is to stand on the goodness and greatness of God. The fact that he is completely good and there is no trace of evil in him. And he is so great, he can accomplish his good purpose, no matter what the obstacle mm. that's in place. And it, it's ultimately down to trusting who he is. And that's where we have to land. 
Yeah, we have to. But I tell you, my friend, that's not an easy place to land. It's a very thin ledge. Oh, <laughs> we very place much our so. toes on there. And sometimes we got to hang on by our fingertips. But that's what he leaves us. And, you know, we're going to walk this path with Job. And every every emotion, every question you and I have just asked, I'm sure will be screaming through Job's mind when he sit back and watch his whole world collapse around him. One more thought on Job's character to give our listeners and you and me a picture of just how godly people can suffer. This guy had 10 kids, seven boys, three girls, and he had more animals than I can even remember. Thousands and thousands of animals, many servants. And then scripture calls him the greatest man of all the people of the East. So Frank, what a combination, a wealthy guy and a godly guy. (laughs) So if you think that there ever was anyone who would be free of suffering, God obviously had given him tremendous blessings. Is it possible that by God parting the hedge, he's adding another blessing? Maybe this one, wrapped in a little bit more of a dark wrapping paper than some of the others. What do you think? Well, you know, John, one of my uh, favorite books that I have ever read is a book by a lady named Carol Mayall called Help Lord, My Whole Life Hurts. And I had the pleasure of talking to her on telephone sometimes. And one of the things that she said once was, Sometimes the love of God comes in a painful package. Yeah. And that's a very, I think, biblical thought. I think sometimes the Christian community, when bad things happen to us, is to blame a fallen world, to blame the enemy. But ultimately, our God sits on the throne of the universe and he does allow things into our lives. Let's face it. We have to be honest. If he is all powerful and all knowing and all loving and completely good and holy, then he could have stopped that from happening, but he obviously chose not to. And that means that that comes to us, though painful, with his love and good intentions wrapped up in it, that somehow this was, I think, the ultimate theme of Job. I think it's the theme in the book that we released, Finding God in the Gray, is that when we suffer, we have the potential, and that's the key word, John, the potential to come to know God in a way we never knew him before in a way that we never could have known him without that struggle. But it requires cooperation. It requires faith. It requires trust because a trial can either make you bitter or better, depending upon your reaction to it. Yeah. The word I like to use in describing that is I have to give my consent. You know, I have to say, Mm -hmm. yes, sir, I'm with you. I'm going to put my hand in yours. I don't want to walk this path. I'd prefer to walk a different one. If you got a door number two, I'll choose that. It's like Jesus. But I will put my hand in his and give my consent to do what he will and accomplish his purpose in my life. You know, I'm looking at the heart of Job and I'm looking at his kids. You know, Frank, you have four kids. We have five. 
all married, 10 grandchildren. I understand the heart of this mm-hmm. man where his kids would get together, they would have parties together. And after the parties were done, Job would consecrate them, rise up in the morning and offer burnt offerings for each and every one of them. Job said, it may be that my children have sinned. You know, so Job invested a lot in his family. And he did this continually. Mm. He loved them. He shepherded them. What he did, he did to get the best possible blessing for all 10 of his children and all of their children. And then God took that worship and service and blessing. And then he took his children away. I look at this, Frank, and I see how much he has invested in each one of his children. And when I think about them, next chapter being all gone, I can't even process the devastation that would come in my life had that happened. I remember with each one of my grandchildren, the first time I met them, I would take them outside as tiny infants. And I'd take them in my arms, lift them up to Father, and I would pray a blessing over them. And I would say these words, Father, my life for this child, if you require it. Mm. But Job did that continually And then in answer to his worship and service and on behalf of his children, father took his children. Oh, gosh, right. What a whole, I don't even know what to say. So I'm going to let you answer that question. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That's a hard one, John, because, you know, ultimately, as you say, he allowed the enemy to step in and cause a storm. But behind that was the God who allowed it. And he claims in Deuteronomy, I believe it is, that he is sovereign over life. He gives life. He takes it away. He says that he has numbered the days of every individual. And John, I think what we're dealing with here is a tremendous conflict between the mind and the heart. In my mind, I know that living forever is not the goal on this planet. Who would ever want to live forever on this planet in its sin-cursed state? That's rational. That's logical. When I contemplate the death of my own children, in my mind, I say to myself, well, Lord, That will spare them having to go through a lifetime of living in this place, and they'll be in your presence. That's the mind. But the heart, it's a different story, John. Yeah, it is. Uh, When the arms can't hold the child, uh, when the ears can't hear the cooing, and the happy little voice of a toddler, That's where the heart is in great conflict with having to say goodbye to a child and deliver them into the arms of God. And so there's this thing that in the mind maybe is called the peace that surpasses understanding. But in the soul, there can be tremendous tears and sorrow at the same time. And, you know, that's probably best illustrated by maybe Habakkuk, who said 
the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no fruit in the vine and basically saying, I'm going to hurt like hell, yet I will rejoice in you and trust you. And John, that's the great battle that we're all in. And I, I love the way Paul translated it in the New Testament. It didn't get translated that way, but the way he said it is we agonize in a very good agony called faith. Yeah. And it's something we'll see when we get to the end. Job died a happy man. We'll get there mm. at the end. Mm. But he still had 10 holes, one for each of his kids. Mm-hmm. And maybe thousands of holes, one for each of his servants and friends he lost. Mm-hmm. Frank, I've got one last thought, then I'll turn it over to you to wrap it up. As I've lived my life and gone to many different churches, I've run across way too many people, confused people in the body of Christ, who think that believing in Jesus automatically guarantees safety and prosperity. Mm. That God's people are just not immune to suffering. And if you're suffering, it's because you don't have enough faith. Mm. And I just want to remind our listeners that that is not true. Mm. You just look at the book of Job, the first five verses, an upright, godly, righteous man who shepherded his family with all his heart. He wound up losing them in tremendous suffering. And it was due to nothing that he did wrong. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend, wrap us up. Well, Jones, I listened to you. And again, I've heard that put on people so many times. You just don't have enough faith. If you had faith, you wouldn't be struggling. Boy, some people need to be slapped in Jesus' name. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Oh, gosh. <laughs> Jesus himself said, don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised. You know, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. The key is with our hand in his, we win. We will overcome the world. We might experience a lot of pain, a lot of struggle. It may last a lifetime, but we win because he has already won. And we will one day go through that valley out the other side in the feast that he has prepared in the presence of our enemies. And you just have to love that Jesus has promised that to us. But we go through that valley, my friend, not over it, not out of it, through it. That's what he said. In time, in time. Yeah. Well, friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Uh, Frank and I have been talking about suffering, looking at the first part of the first chapter of Job. We invite you to check out our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources there, all designed to lead you to the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our very life. Of course, we've got the full slate of social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Check those out. And of course, as always, we close with the very same reminder from Hebrews that we have a hope for an anchor for our souls. So today and always, choose that hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to our Resolute Hope Podcast. 
For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.